Pastor Sam is going to be preaching for us from this morning uh, from the text of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So once you have that, would you go ahead and stand with me? For the sake of context, I'll start reading in verse 11. So 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm standing before the people that your son died to save. This is your church, God, that you purchased with the the blood of your own son. God, who am I that I would stand before your people to speak to them? Um, And yet, Lord, out of the abundance of your fathomless grace, you have given me this opportunity today to, to represent you, to bring your word out and, and reveal as much of you as I possibly can. And of course, Lord, I can't do that. It has to be your Holy Spirit working. And so we just acknowledge the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit himself, and, and just pray, God that your spirit would work today in the hearts and the minds of your people. Lord, I pray that you would just even give us fresh energy now and and focus and attention and ears to hear and hearts to believe, God, what you have to say in your word to us today. And Lord, I pray that by the time we all leave here today, we will leave exclaiming, surely God was among us. We didn't go through the motions today in this worship service, but we, we praised, we adored, we, we prayed to the living God and, and His Spirit was among us and, and, and the Lord Jesus was, was in our midst and fellowshipping with us, God. The fellowship that we have is with the Father and the Son and we thank you for that today, Lord. Make our joy complete. And satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the, the title of my sermon today is Don't Forget Your Secret Weapon. And it's probably not what you think it is. Okay? So those of you who are members of Central Baptist, you know that I... I don't often you know, give a title to my messages, but today I thought it would be good to 
maybe capture the, the heart of the, the sermon with a title. Again, don't forget your secret weapon, and it's probably not what you think it is. So what do I mean by secret weapon? Well, most of us have seen Star Wars, right? And in Star Wars, the, uh, the dark side, the emperor, he had the secret weapon, which was called the Death Star. Yeah, thank you. The Death Star. It was this, it looked like a planet in outer space, but it was actually this, this huge uh, laser beam weapon that they could just destroy entire planets with this thing, okay? So the secret weapon of the, of the dark side was the Death Star. Um, at the end of uh, World War II, the, uh, the Americans revealed they had a secret weapon. Uh, the atomic bomb had the power to devastate the enemy and put an end to the war. So on a much smaller scale, in terms of secret weapons, we can wield our secret weapons in our day-to-day conflicts. For instance, if someone hurts us, we can strike back with the secret weapon of defensiveness or revenge. And if someone crosses our will, we lash out with the secret weapon of anger. There's always the secret weapon of pride at our disposal, where we consider ourselves to be supreme in comparison to other people, and that leads to a million other problems in our relationships, our own pride. Carson preached several weeks ago on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, and he talked about more of these kinds of fleshly or natural secret weapons that we all wield from time to time. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, Peter says, Put away malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These are not to be our secret weapons. So what is the, the secret righteous weapon of the church? What is it? Now you're probably thinking, it's love. He's going to say love. I know it's love. But like I said, it's probably not what you think it is. Love is indeed a, a great and powerful weapon. But the secret weapon that, that I believe Peter emphasizes throughout the rest of the letter is the, the weapon of humility. Our secret weapon as believers is humility. Just look at what what Peter is saying here as the letter goes on. Uh, Today, in verse 13, for example, what does he say? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject. Be a servant in regards to the governing authorities, which requires humility. For us to be subject to anyone is going to require us to humble ourselves. In verse 18, if you look down in the text, what does Peter tell servants to do? Be subject to your masters. Even the ones who are harsh and unfair and unjust and mean-spirited. doesn't matter how people treat you. Here's your secret weapon in response. Be subject to them. How about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1? Likewise, wives, you have an honorary husband? 
Have an argument with your husband. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to them. Humble yourselves. Show them the beautiful character quality of Christ, which made him unique and special and different than any other human being that's ever walked the face of this earth, really. It was his humility that set him apart more than any other human being that's ever lived. It was his humility. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be humble like Jesus was. Verse 7 says, likewise, husbands, likewise, husbands. See, wives are supposed to be humble towards their husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Do not be prideful. Do not look down on them. Not consider them weak and yourself strong, but having a humble or an honorable mindset to others. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. See what Peter's emphasizing over and over and over again? What is it? It's humility. What does he say in chapter 5 to the elders of the church? Chapter 5, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Shepherd the flock of God, serve the sheep. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, every shepherd is only an under shepherd. We are servants of the chief shepherd. So we are to be examples of humility as well. Pastoring and shepherding is serving others. Make no mistake about that. Because some of you are going to go on to be shepherds, but it is a high calling, but it's also a low calling. It's a call to service and humility. What does Peter say to the rest of the church in verse 5? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, what? Be subject to the elders. Be humble. It's your secret weapon. Be humble. What does he say in verse 6? This is one of the most powerful verses in 1 Peter. What does he say? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Do you see Peter's emphasis over and over and over again in the rest of this book? Be subject, be subject, be subject. Be humble towards one another. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is the will of God that you put to silence the foolish talk of people. How? Through your humility, through your godly, Jesus Christ-like character. That's it. That's it. Let's pray. No. (laughs) That's it. That's the sermon right there. That's it. Humble yourselves. Why are you so proud? What do you have to be proud about? (laughs) Come on, church. Are you hard-hearted like I am? Does God have to weekly, daily, hourly, even sometimes minute by minute, get on your case about your pride. 
He is constantly cooking this out of us. Constantly putting us in trials. Constantly pushing down that mighty hand. Peter says, don't stiffen your neck and push back against the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see the picture that he's painting? Humble yourselves under that hand. He is trying to teach you how to be low. How to be servant-hearted. Goodness, we have trouble with this. We have problems. We have issues. We have a falling condition of pride. It is our default setting. Pride. Last week, last week, Brother Richard preached out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And this marks a transition in Peter's letter. He has labored throughout the opening chapter and a half of his letter to lay down the foundation of the gospel and our identity as Christians. He said, this is the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has rebirthed you. He has given you spiritual life. That's the gospel. You did not deserve that. You, you really had nothing to do with God's decision to raise you from the dead. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's given us this living hope. That's all very good news for people who are dead in their trespasses. And he says he has not only regenerated you, he has given you a purpose and a calling. You are a royal priesthood to make spiritual sacrifices unto God and to proclaim his excellencies. That is your your identity. So here's the gospel. Here's your identity as believers. And now he's going to make a transition in the letter and he's going to say, so how does that look in your day-to-day life as the church was being persecuted? As suffering, the fires of suffering were burning all around the church. And Peter said, how do we live this out? So he's moving from the theological and foundational to practical application here. And last week when Richard preached verses 11 and 12, we saw a negative command and a positive command. The negative command, abstain from your sin. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. The positive desire, live out your faith in godly conduct. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So, Do not sin and live a godly, holy life in the midst of the the world around you. And Richard brought out last, last week that Peter is urging us in this section of the letter, isn't he? Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I'm urging you. This, And he has this sense of urgency as he moves on through the rest of the letter. And in verse 13, he is building on that. And he is urgently pleading with us as a church to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject. Humble yourselves before the governing authorities, Peter says. Be humble. So as we move into the text today, we're going to see again the practical application of the gospel in our identity. 
And let me give you the roadmap for today so you can stick with me. Okay, number one, part one of the text is the command to obey. So in verses 13 and 14 today, we're going to see the command to obey. What does Peter want us to do? Be subject. In part two, in verse 15, we're going to see the effect of our obedience. The effect of our obedience. In part three, we're going to see a warning against hypocrisy. A warning against hypocrisy in verse 16. In verse 17, or part 4, we'll see the desirable disposition of the heart. Peter's going to get down to the heart of the matter. It's not just a matter of outward conformity and raw submission. He's going to say, it comes down to your heart. What's going on in your heart? You can submit to someone and just hate them with a passion. Peter's like, that's not what Christian submission is all about. He's going to show you that in verse 17. And lastly, we're going to look back through the passage as a whole and see the motivation for our obedience. And that will be all throughout verses 13 through 17. And I'll show you four examples in there where Peter is like, this is why you should obey God. This is why you should obey God. This and this. For these reasons, for the Lord's sake, let's obey what he's commanding us to do. So those are the the five movements of the text today. So let's launch into number one. And thank you, Carson, for reading the text for us today. And we're going to be walking through the text. So keep your Bibles open. I want you reading and studying scripture with me. Right now, don't take my word for it. I want you seeing it on the pages of the Bible. And I want the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to see what God's word is saying. So part one of the text today, the command to obey. And... The, the command is very straightforward. It's, it's right out in the open right there in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So here's our command to obey, church. Submit to the governing authorities. Whether it's the emperor as supreme, whether it's the civil authorities, the local police, whoever it is, Related to the government and the authorities, we are to have a submissive, humble heart towards them. Peter says, be subject or subject yourselves to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Peter gives us here the the purpose of the government, which is to maintain law and order. Do you see that in the text? The government is supposed to do what? Reward those who obey and punish those who do not. If the government's doing its job, which it doesn't always do, (laughs) but that's the purpose of the government. Maintain law and order. uh, Catch the bad guys. Reward the good guys. That's the government. That's That's what they're there for. Now, there are two caveats here that we need to talk about. There are limits to the government's authority. The emperor is not the ultimate authority, right? So this is written to the, 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 the church in the Roman Empire. And so the, the head of the state was the, uh, the dictator and emperor. 
And there are limits to the emperor's authority. He's not the ultimate authority. He's the supreme human authority at the time. But every human authority is subjected to what? God's ultimate divine authority. So we must, in the end, fear God above all other authorities. But what is Peter saying here? If you do truly fear God, then you will do what? Submit to the governing authorities. The fact that you have a submissive and not a rebellious attitude toward the government shows that you do fear God. One other caveat here before we move on. It's it's one thing. I'll back up. The government cannot command us to sin. Okay, the government is not the ultimate authority and the government cannot make commandments that require us to sin. At that point, we are no longer obligated to submit to the government if they are making commandments for us to sin. This is where we have to be discerning because it's one thing for the government to say that you may sin. It's another thing for the government to say that you must sin. So we have to be discerning. What is the government requiring of us? Are they saying that you may do this or that you must? If they're saying that you may do this, but you don't have to, well, then overall, we still submit to what the government is saying. For example, in the case of abortion, the government can say that you may abort a child. As Christians, we would never want to do that. I could go into more of that as well as far as clarification, but the point is that by and large, abortion is not a, a, an alternative to pregnancy for a Christian. However, abortion is not mandated of all people. So there's a difference there between you may and you must. And as long as the government is saying that you may, and not saying that you must sin, then we have the obligation to have a submissive and obedient heart, a humble heart towards the government. So why does Peter bring up the subject of submitting to the governing authorities? So apparently that there are are foolish people who are making accusations against the Christians. Look down at verse 12. Remember, Peter said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So apparently the Gentiles were speaking evil against the church. Accusations were being brought against the church. And this is beginning to cause problems at a civil level within the governing authorities. In verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So people were, again, speaking against the church. And it was beginning to cause problems. This should come as no surprise. Jesus said the world would turn against the church and the authorities are beginning to get involved. So in the first century, Christians were accused of disturbing the peace. If you think back through the book of Acts, Christians are being accused of turning the world upside down, disturbing the peace, destroying the economy. Remember that story where they had they had made such an impact on the idol making industry that. Uh, the, whole, the whole economy was beginning to suffer within the city of Ephesus. And so the Christians were blamed for that, and a riot was started because they were 
again, affecting the economy. So they're being accused of, of that. And they were even accused of setting the city of Rome on fire. So what's the best way for a Christian to clear his name when he's being accused of, of these evil things? Like, we're a minister society. We are uh, even setting the city of Rome on fire. How do you fight back against those kinds of accusations? Peter said, this is how you fight. You submit to the governing authorities by living good and upright lives in the sight of all men. Brothers and sisters, people are going to say evil things against us too. They already are, right? Christians are judgmental. Christians are intolerant. We are going to be misrepresented, misquoted, falsely accused. Our words will be twisted. But how are we going to respond? That's the question. How are you going to, how are you going to respond when these accusations are being hurled against you? Will our responses further confirm what people are saying or will they disarm our critics? That's, how, that's what your response has the power to do. It gives people further ammunition against us. So when people accuse us, if we blow up and get angry and we fight back and retaliate, people go, yeah, see that? They don't like to, they don't like to be called out. See that? They're, they have that guilty conscience. They're, they're being defensive. They're getting angry. It just pours fuel on the fire. It doesn't solve the problem. On the other hand, when we respond with humility, it takes away every excuse. It disarms the critics. The secret weapon that we have when we are being falsely accused is to humble ourselves before the governing authorities in this case and be willing to submit. See, God has a purpose for the pain. When persecution comes, He's got a purpose for that. There's a reason. And pain is is God's instrument of sanctification, isn't it? God will use the government. We see in 1 Peter that God will use the government to test us. And God will use evil people speaking twisted and perverse things to test us. God will use these things to, to press down on us. You may find yourself in an unjust situation. People saying evil things about you. In fact, you will. It's it's bound to happen. You live in a sinful world. People are going to be envious. They're going to hate. They're going to accuse us. And you know what happens in those situations? Is that God God uses those things to to, to push on us and press on us. And and to, to, like a, like a, uh, a burner. (laughs) Under, in, in, under our hearts. You ever go camping, you know, and you got your little uh, hot plate there and you, and you cook your meal on top of it? God uses those circumstances like that hot plate. And it begins to heat up the contents of our heart. Things begin to boil to the surface, right? You ever notice that when you're in the midst of trials? Bad things begin to kind of come to the surface of your heart. Fleshly reactions. What are you going to do about that? The worst thing that we can do in situations like that is choose to hate someone in our hearts. Rather than choosing to be humble before the Lord and and just begging God to do whatever he needs to do in us to, to, to to, 
to repent of this sin that's coming to the surface. God, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to uh, retaliate. I don't want to lash out. But instead, the worst thing that we can do is is choose to hate somebody in our hearts. Years ago, I was a a, a baseball umpire. And and the whole game, the coach on the sideline, it's like every call I made, he, he just wanted to argue the point. And he was, he was accusing me. It was like, you know, I was the worst baseball umpire that ever stepped on the field. And he was going to let me know about it, right, the whole game. So this started to get to me. It started to bother me. I started to heat up inside, if you know what I mean. I started to get angry. What, what I, I should have been praying, right? I should have been asking God for help. Like, God, please help me to keep my eyes on you. Not to keep my eyes on that guy. Not to keep my eyes on myself and how I'm doing right now. But I'm feeling angry about the things that are being said about me over here. So finally, there was a, there was a guy on third base and there was a, a, a play at home plate. And it was his player. And, you know, it wasn't out of spite or anything like that. But the, the kid was out, you know. So I called him out. I said, he's out. And that coach came off the sideline and he, he started like yelling at me and, and telling me that, you know, his player was safe. And I just, I got so angry that I screamed at that guy. And I said, he is out! <laughs> and that dude just took a step back like this. And he, he came marching right up to me. And he looked at me right in my eye, and he was just shaking. And he looked at me right in my eye, and he goes, you can't do that. And I was convicted. Because what he was saying to me is that, like, it doesn't matter how angry you get, how you feel, how frustrated And honestly, it doesn't even matter what the crowd say. It doesn't matter what the coaches say. You can't do that. You cannot retaliate. You cannot lash out. You are the umpire. You are the one who's supposed to like maintain your sanity no matter what anybody else is doing. You're the judge. You're the one in charge. And you're not allowed to let your emotions take over and take control of that situation. So we might find ourselves in in unjust situations, but we're not allowed to become bitter. Remember, our trials can make us bitter or they can make us better, right? And it's easy in situations like this again. I'm using this example of this baseball game years ago where, where, where I felt like I was being accused unjustly, where I felt like I was being insulted and just really started to bother me. But it's easy to lose sight in a situation like that, that God is ultimately the one in charge of applying that pressure in your life. God was ultimately in charge of that coach and what he was saying. Now that guy was, that guy wasn't living for the Lord and the things that he was saying, but God is ultimately in charge. Remember what first Peter said there in chapter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Look at verse seven. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
That's what we're supposed to do in the midst of trials. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and cast our cares upon the Lord. Depend upon the Lord in prayer. That's what we turn to. We don't turn to ourselves. We don't rely on our own strength or we will fail. We will fall flat on our faces. Just like I did when I screamed at that coach. I was completely out of line. Again, God will use the governing authorities. God will use uh, evil people. What is, he, what is he doing through that, those situations and those circumstances? He is, again, pushing us down. He is teaching us to humble ourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He is sovereign. And learn how to depend on him more and more. The second movement of the text today talks about the effects of our obedience on foolish people. Look back with me there at 1 Peter chapter 2 and it says that this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Here's the effect of our obedience. It will shut up foolish people. What do you want to say to foolish people? (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Is that what you should say to them? No, never. Don't tell them that. What's your secret weapon? It's humility. If you want to put to silence, if you want to shut foolish people up, do it through humility. Pull out your secret weapon. Practice humility in submission. In this case, to the governing authorities. In the context, Christians are being accused as evildoers and lawbreakers. What does Peter say? Doesn't matter what people say. Obey the law of the land so that there will be no evidence to back up their claims. You know, our job is is not to defend our reputations. Our job is to exude the character and the humility of Christ. And make sure that there is no truth in their accusations. This verse in our text today in verse 15 is a follow-up to what Richard taught on last, last week in verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Not if, but when. This is going to happen in a sinful world. They're going to speak against you as evildoers. You're going to be falsely accused. And you know that's Satan's work. His name means accuser. So you're going to have those fiery darts shot at you, those accusations. And Peter says, our job is to make sure there's no truth in those accusations. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Which is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> it's not as simple as it sounds. And I believe that's why he goes right into this in the next point as we're moving down. And I'm, I'm really going to combine points two and three here. This idea of uh, putting to silence the talk of foolish people and this warning against hypocrisy. So let's take two points two and three here in the sermon, just kind of put them together. In point three, we talk about a warning against hypocrisy.
Peter says, yes, your weapon is humility and being subject. But let's make sure that that's a sincere humility. Look at verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, this is the most challenging verse in the text. This idea of not letting your freedom be a cover up for evil. Like, what is Peter saying there? So we're going to break this down piece by piece. First of all, Peter says here, live as people who are free. What does he mean? Live as people who are free to do anything in the world except sin. God has set you free to obey him. You've been set free from sin. This goes back to what Peter said in chapter 1, verse 18. Look back there with me. What did Peter say there? You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold. See, you were ransomed. Hear that? You were set free. This idea you were set free from your past, from your sins, from your old attitudes and actions and habits and your condition responses and, and your habitual sin patterns, those ties were cut when you became a believer. You're set free, ransomed by the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Think of the price that God paid. You are free. And in this case, you are free to do what? To submit to the governing authorities, to exercise humility in those situations. Even when you're called into court to stand before these these governing authorities and you're on trial, Peter says, remember to have a humble, submissive attitude. Keep your conduct pure among the Gentiles. You are free to submit out of glad-hearted obedience. But... Here's the warning. Be sure that you don't have sin cropping up in your heart. See, according to Peter, it's possible to cover up your evil in the name of freedom. It's possible for you to say and do things as a Christian that don't line up with your new identity. What would, what would we expect from people who have been set free from sin? We would expect them to flee from sin. If you're free from sin, you'll flee from it. But Peter's saying, beware, because that's not always the case in the life of people who call themselves believers. When, when people call themselves believers but live contrary to their identities, they're living in hypocrisy. This is what Peter means when he says, do not use your liberty as a cloak for vice or do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. I'll give you an illustration here. This was this was helpful. Now, we all know Carson was a college football player. He'll tell you all about his uh, illustrious career later if you've never heard the stories. So Carson is a football player. His job is to play for the coach. He's free to be on the team and play the game to the best of his ability. He's not, in a, he's not on probation. He's not in trouble of any kind. So he's free to enjoy all the rights and privileges that he's been given. 
So as long as Carson uh, works hard, shows up, practices, and, and you know, makes the blocks or makes the tackles and, and does his job well, uh, the coach is going to be really happy with him. He's going to be pleased. He might even be on the starting team. Now, if he's, if he's really a standout player and an upstanding guy and someone that other people look up to and a lot of people start talking about Carson, well, what happens with other guys on the team? There can be, like, jealousy. There can be rivalry. There can even be slanderous things said against Carson, right? Well, meanwhile, the coach goes, now I'm hearing all these things said about Carson, but, you know, I don't, I don't believe that because I know Carson. I know his character. I know he's a great guy. He's a hard worker on the team. And so he tells the other players on the team, hey, that's enough of that foolish talk. Because I know Carson. I know his character, his reputation. Like, you guys need to start, stop saying those things about him because I have a feeling it's just because you're jealous. So, best case scenario, right? Carson, great man, great football player. Maybe some of the other guys are jealous. Coach tells him to knock it off. Best case scenario. What's Peter saying here, though? Carson, be careful. Watch yourself. Maybe there's a reason the other guys are having trouble with you. Maybe there's a little bit of an ego present. Or maybe, Carson, watch yourself. Because the more playing time you get, your heart can become proud about how well you're doing. So be careful that your, that your liberty and your status isn't becoming a cover-up for something that's, that's growing up from beneath the surface here. Other people can't see it, but it's, it's there. Or maybe, Carson, you need to be careful because um, those things that those other players said about you, it, it really hurt your feelings. And you start to get kind of angry about it. You've got some unforgiveness in your heart and some bitterness in your heart towards these people who are speaking against you and trying to hurt your reputation. And the next time you get to take a shot on them in practice, you're going to take them out. Carson, be careful. Watch your heart. Remember that you are bond servants of God. Remember to humble yourself before the Lord and other people. Do you see that in the text? Peter said, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, living as bond slaves of God. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. Remember your humble beginnings. Remember your humble, servant-hearted, suffering Savior. You are to follow in His footsteps and beware of hypocrisy. Beware, beware of having it all together on the outside and, and claiming all of the Christian titles and the identity for yourself but really, internally, you're harboring sin of some kind. Likely in Peter's day and time, it was, it was bitterness, it was hostility, it was rebellion, it was uh, even slander against the emperor and the governing authorities. Like, who are these people? They're making my life so miserable. Why do they keep saying these wicked things about me? They're not true. You know what? What those people are saying about you, you're right. It's not true. 
They have no basis for what they're saying. But you know what God is doing through what they're saying? And what God is doing from that pressure that you're feeling from the authorities, you know what he's doing? He's using that to squeeze up things out of the depths of your heart. Pride, selfish ambition, conceitedness. That self-reliance where we'll just hop out of bed every day and just take off into the day without even thinking twice about God's word. God wants to kill that in you. And you know what he'll do? He'll start using the powers that be. (laughs) And he'll start using evil people around you. And all of these things will begin to press on you and show you that, you know, you have a problem with the fear of man. You have a problem with dishonesty. You get in a situation where you just, it's going to be tough and you're going to have to suffer. Well, you'll start to kind of be shady. It's, it's, those governing authorities are not your problem. Those lying, rotten people are not your problem. In fact, you used to be just like those people. So don't look down on them. They're not your problem. Your pride is your problem. Your sin is your problem. That's why the mighty hand of God is pushing your proud, stiff neck. He's pushing you down. He is is trying to teach you how how to bow down, how to be prostrate before Him, how to depend on Him. That's what He's doing through those really hard circumstances. They're not fair. You can't explain them. Why is this happening to me? Why are these people saying this about me? I have been falsely accused. You know what that brought up in my heart? Just just anger. It was there in the first place. But those circumstances God used to press and to reveal that in me. Samuel, be careful that you're not using your freedom your ransom status as a cover-up for evil. See, you're really not as humble as you'd like to think you are, Samuel. I'm going to have to show you that's the case. And I'm going to put you in some situations where the authorities in your life are difficult. And they're pushing down on you. And meanwhile, people are shooting at you from every side with these fiery darts. And you know what that's going to teach you? That's going to teach you to be humble like David was in the Psalms. You want to survive in those kind of trials? Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms and start reading, right? And start depending on God. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He he cares for you. He loves you. But you're never going to learn how to be dependent on God on your own. Why? Because pride is our default setting. We do not come by humility naturally. Which is why I 100% believe that salvation is totally a gift of God. Because proud people cannot repent. You tell a proud man to be humble, it's an impossible thing to do until the Holy Spirit breaks his heart. Through the preaching of the gospel and through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, God regenerates a person. God gives that person new life and rebirth. And once we're saved... It's a long road of sanctification. It's glorious. It's good. It's great. But man, God has to use these governing authorities. God has to use the circumstances in our lives to box us in situations. Man, we can't wiggle out of this. We can't get out of this. We're either going to go through the fire 
or we're going to prove that we are not really in the faith in the first place. You can't, you can't get out of it. You can't get out of this. There is a sovereign God in charge of your circumstances. <laughs> and he's, he's just going to show you. You're going to have to learn how to wait on him. That brings us to the, the, the desirable disposition of the believer's heart. In, in the, the fourth part of the, the, the text here, the desirable disposition of the believer's heart. And that's in verse 17. Honor everyone. You mean those guys who are saying all that bad stuff about me? Yes. Well, they hit me first. Well, they said this. They're making my life miserable. Honor everyone. <laughs> everyone. Mm-hmm. Honor everyone. Love the church. Love the church. Fear God. And honor the emperor. See, I love how he starts off this section by saying what? Be subject to the emperor. And the very last thing he says is, and you honor him too. What about what's going on inside of your heart towards the emperor? and towards the authorities in your life, and towards those other people all around you, including everybody in the church. Is the disposition of your heart divinely desirable? Is it pleasing to God? Peter's saying, raw submission is not enough. Yeah, I'll submit to the emperor. <laughs> that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That guy. Cussing him out in your heart. No. Peter said, it's not enough to submit. You need to honor. You need to respect the fact that God put that guy on his throne. God put Saul on the throne to prepare David. Right? Think about that. That's awesome. God put Saul on the throne. Why? Because he was going to be the the enduring king? No, he wasn't even from the line of Judah had to be looking for a king from the line of Judah who would one day rule the nations. Saul is not from Judah. We're getting into other theological things here. But God put Saul on the throne. Why? To to beat on David, to make his life miserable and to teach David how to be humble. And what do you see? I mean, as time goes on, David's heart is just, there's just a struggle there. He's just angry with Saul. And just and then Saul's making his life so miserable. And at one point, David cuts off the hem of Saul's robe, right? And then even then, his conscience was stricken. And God's like, honor the king. And so David said over and over again, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. The president of the White House right now is the Lord's anointed. In a sense, he was put in place by God himself. You, you disrespect that guy, you dishonor that guy, you dishonor the God who put him there. I was in a home this summer. Um, good Christian people. But in their, uh, 
in their bathroom, they had a, a, a roll of toilet paper with, uh, and on the paper, on the toilet paper was, uh, you know, throughout the roll of toilet paper was one of the president's uh, face. I mean, what is that saying? Is that an attitude of honor towards the governing authorities? Say, well, I don't like this president. I don't like his policies. I don't like what he, what he said and did. Honor the authorities that God put in place, Peter says. The, uh, the, the, last, the last portion here of the text that we want to, to look at is in verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry, is the, the motivation for our obedience. The motivation. Why, why should we obey these things? Why should we be subject to the, for the Lord or to the human institutions? And, and why should we honor people um, and, and love the church and and, and Peter tells us there throughout this passage, look at all these, these little motivators he gives us. In verse 13, he says, be subject, why? For the Lord's sake. Do this for God. Do this for his sake. In, in verse 15, Peter says, this is the will of God. Why should we be subject to even corrupt authorities as long as they're not Require or forcing us to, to do something sinful. Why should we be subject and have even a respectful attitude? It is the will of God to do that. In verse 17, Peter says, we do this because we fear God. We fear God. And back in verse 16, he reminds us that we are the bondservants of God. Why do we obey God? Because we are his indebted servants. And this this raises the most important question that we'll talk about today. Why would we want to live for the Lord's sake? Why would we want to be his bondservants in the first place? Peter says, do this for God's sake. For God's sake, obey the elders. Remember, you are his bondservants. Why would we want to be the bondservants of God? And this goes back to the the gospel message itself. Brothers and sisters, we know that we, we serve a holy God. His nature is holy. His essence is holy. This means that he's in a, in a category that's completely separate from ourselves. We are sinful. He is sacred. We are dirty. God is pure. We are shameful. He is glorious. We are cursed. He is forever blessed. We are darkness. He dwells in unapproachable light. We are committed to our selfishness. He is committed to condemn us because of his righteousness. We are hypocritical. He is entirely sincere. We are guilty. God is innocent. We are like worms in the earth. God is the supreme being over all things. 
You see, he is holy. He is separate. He is sacred. He is better. He is righteous. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah's eyes were opened to see God, he said that, that the Lord was high and lifted up. He was exalted to the highest place. And there are these glorious, fiery beings, these heavenly creatures hovering above him. And one said to another in a thundering voice, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three holy, holy, holy. He said it three times. Just, just emphasizing the, the perfection, the glory, and the beauty, and the awesomeness of this holy God. And these heavenly beings that were hovering above him, they, they, they were covering their eyes. They wouldn't even dare to look at it. In Exodus 33, verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face, Moses, because no man can see my face and live to tell about it. He is a holy God. What did God say to Adam in the Garden of Eden about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, if you eat from that one tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely what? Die. Die. Why? You ever think about that? Why is God so strict? I mean, simply eating this piece of fruit is going to cost you your life? Yes, why? Because He is holy. We cannot break His commandments and see His face and live to tell about it. He cannot accept sin of any kind. As long as there is sin in the world, he will never be satisfied. Think about it. A police officer who knows there's a serial killer at loose in the city can never rest easy at night. Because he knows the danger. And God will not let sin go go unpunished. And he will not slumber or sleep until he has brought every sinner to justice. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, it made him intensely aware that he was not holy. He saw God and all of that, that majesty and all of God's holiness. And he said, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone because I am not holy. He is holy, but I am not. I am done. I am ruined. I am destined for judgment. He knew that he stood no chance of being counted righteous. You see, if you have not been forgiven of your sins today, you're in a very scary place because of God's holiness. And when you stand before him, his light, his light will just shine straight into your soul and you will see your sin in light of his holiness. But the good news today is that God has made a way for all of us to be forgiven of our sins. God sent his one and only son into the world to pay the penalty that your sins deserved. God made a sacrifice so that your sins could be forgiven, so they could be covered, so they could be washed away. And God is inviting you to come to the cross of Jesus Christ and Repent 
of your sin and be forgiven. Look at 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Look at chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Gospel reminders. Jesus Christ was crucified, dead and buried for your for your souls, for your sake. Peter says. And throughout the book, he, he, he writes these one or two sentence gospel reminders. Look at what Jesus did. Remember what Jesus did. Remember who he is. Remember the gospel message. Remember this good news. Imagine that one day you were serving a cruel master. I'm sorry. Imagine that you were just serving a cruel master day in and day out. So this is your life. You are a slave. And every day, uh, you have to go and, and, and just... Serve this man, you wait on his table, you feed his animals, he, 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 he beats you, he mistreats you, he, you don't have enough to eat, it's a terrible place to live. But one day you hear a knock at the door. And when the door opens, it's, it's your uncle. And he's come, from a, he's come from a faraway place and he's talking with your master and you overhear him talking in the living room with your master. And suddenly your uncle comes into the room where you are. And his countenance is radiant. And he says, Ashanti, it's time. He's like, get your things. Or I'm taking you out of here. I've ransomed. I've paid your ransom. You don't have to stay here anymore. You don't have to be in this dark, dingy dungeon of a, of a hole ever again. You're coming with me. How would you feel when you step out of the door of that house? You've been emancipated. It's a whole new world. So what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Here's one thing I would suggest. Offer your service to your uncle. Man, you're indebted to that guy. He sets you free, right? This is what it means to be bond servants of God. He's ransomed us from the fall. And this is the motivation for our obedience. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Fear God. Remember that you are bond servants. This is the will of God. All of these are motivators based on the gospel. Knowing who God is. Knowing what he's done. Knowing that he's ransomed us. And we are his bond servants. So Peter says, be subject to the Lord's sake. If you look back at your text one last time, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
to the governments, to the civil authorities, to the emperor. This is the will of God. And by doing so, you will put the, to ignorance the, the foolish talk of people. You are free people. Beware of the hypocrisy. Do not cover up your evil with your freedom. Make sure that you have a humble, respectful attitude towards everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood fervently. Fear God and honor the emperor. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the church and that we gathered here together. And and God, I pray that you would help us to love the brotherhood today to lift each other up, to strengthen each other. God, there are people in our church right now that are going through really hard things, really hard seasons, and the circumstances are are pressing them. And God, they need support. They need us to come alongside them and to listen and to love them and to comfort them and to pray for them. And I pray that you would help us to do that and be faithful. God, for those of us who are going through hard times and the circumstances are, are, are pressing us and crushing us, and, and God, we're seeing sin come up in our hearts. God, we, we even thank you that you're using that to, to sanctify us and to teach us to, to depend on you more fully. God, today we, we desire to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and, and and that you would lift us up and exalt us in due time. We know that after we have suffered a little while, that the God of, the God of all grace will strengthen, restore, establish us, and, and we'll be better men and women and children for it, God. Give us the strength, we pray, and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.